And welcome once again to another episode of Studium Productions Presents... Jared M. Solve the World After Dark. I am James. And I am Matt. And with us, returning guest, Tyler, to continue with our discussion from last week's podcast. Hey, it's good to be back. Well, it's good so, to have you. So how's the week you. treated you? You been all right? Uh, it's, it's pretty decent. Okay. <laughs> Money-wise, it's doing, it's doing pretty good. Cool. Nice. So, where did we leave off on our last episode? Here was well, we, Genesis. we left off with the terms of formless and void of the earth, bohu and tohu. Right. So, I guess I could just start off right there. Sure. So... From the term of bohu and tohu, it refers to, like, I'm going to give everyone a reminder. Okay. If, yeah. You know, if they have sure. it. Like, yeah. So bohu and tohu is referring to the formless and void of earth. Now, what I've discussed before is that if if it's supposed to be taken literal as liter- literal material creation, then how does void, formless and void make sense if the earth is already there? Right. And so what I want to do... Is it a- Empty sphere, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a whole sphere, but it's empty. Right. Like what? Yeah. No. So looking into um, looking into uh, bohu and tohu, we could see here. Um, let's go back just a little bit on the Hebrew phrase bara, create. Okay. And so, Genesis one should be understood as a dependent clause, and God says the first creative act doesn't begin until verse three, and God said, "Let there be light." Mm-hmm. Now we still have to carry that, you know, that purpose and direction, which will be explained in the ta- of the tabernacle. You know, there are three intimate circles, which is recognized by scholars such as Joshua, John Van E, and uh, Michael um, Michael Jones, Christian mm-hmm. apologist that I learned this from right i actually spoke to him oh really yeah on instagram i uh asked him a question of like what would be the strongest evidence for god and he suggested the quantum god series that he done which basically explains that uh through recent experiments that conscious observation is what activates reality particles Mm -hmm. like whenever we look at particles the fabric of reality of activates and it creates a platform, like video games, for an example, mm. like a PS3. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I don't know if you heard, like, SimCity? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so whenever you venture into a new area, the particles are activated, but whenever you leave it, it's not like they're out of existence, but they're less focused. Uh, mm-hmm. So they don't, like, really react. But maybe a discussion later on, yeah. whenever I get into that. But... um was I? Oh, yes. So, going on to... Uh, so, Genesis 1-1 doesn't imply an absolute beginning of time, but like other creation accounts from that time, explaining the Enuma Elish, um, the Assyrian Carrefour tablet, and the Eshipi, um Wait, I can't pronounce it. <laughs> it's the second account that I explained, mm-hmm. but... It's not in a means of trying to copy each other, but it's basically about 
you know, they culturally understood this. Mm-hmm. They were trying to profound, you know, what happened with these waters, these this chaos. What was its purpose and direction? And this is how God did it. Mm-hmm. So looking into um, Genesis 1-1 doesn't apply an absolute beginning of time, but other creation accounts from that time begins with the, with the implications that there was an unknown amount of t- chaotic time prior to God's creation week. Mm-hmm. Now, if you don't remember, um, so think of it as this, God creates a universe 13.8, 13.8, well, 14, between 13 to 14 billion years ago. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't, you know, let the universe settle in heat or enduring that chaotic state, he's bringing purpose and direction to the materials or the functions. Mm-hmm. So the chaos, the unproductivity and unpurpose becomes purposed and productive. He's taken the laws of physics, you know, the laws of gravity, electromagnetic laws, and like a whole bunch of groups of that. Right. If I'm correct, um, he's a young earth creationist. I don't really agree. Obviously, I don't agree that the Earth is like six thousand years old, mm-hmm. but he um, he lists about one hundred and forty six principles or constants in the universe that need to work out in order for not just the universe to be, you know, be stable, right. not to collapse on itself, but right. also for life. So you could say, from looking into physics, that the laws of nature were intended for life. If you look closely with mm-hmm. detail, right. which I'd like to do one day. But um, so back to the um, Genesis one 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 and formless and void. We need to next go over the issue where the word we commonly translate as create. So whenever the phrase when God began to create the heavens and the earth, it's the Hebrew phrase bara. Bara doesn't just necessarily mean material creation, but it also means establishing. And so, for an example, bara refers to God bringing out a new activity, not necessarily a new thing. For instance, uh, Psalms uh, 51 verse 10, it says, "God, God created me a clean heart. O God, renew a right spirit within me. It's not like talking about like, hey, God, create a literal new heart right. because I lost mine, you know, right. it right. kind of vanished. I'm so somehow still alive. I need a heart transplant. Yeah. This one's bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's talking about, um, it's not asking for a new material heart, but God assigning one's desires, a new function from spiritual deadness to spiritual life, mm-hmm. a productivity to purpose direction. Right. Another passage I would say, would indicate, you know, barring to establish is Isaiah 57 verse 19, creating, barring the fruit of the lips, peace, peace to, to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. This speaks of God assigning praise upon the lips of Israel and the whole context. It's about God transforming the mourners of Israel, not creating them out of nothing. Mm-hmm. Another passage is Isaiah 65 verse 18. But he, but be glad and rejoice forever in which I create Barah. For behold, I create Barah Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. Isaiah 65 refers to Jerusalem being assigned by God to be a place of delight. 
not of him literally creating delight out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. This is, if you want to look a little bit more into this, look into Ken, uh, Kenneth A. Matthews in his book, The New American Commentary, in pages 128 and 129. There's a lot of books in here, so <laughs> a lot of quotations, mm-hmm. basically making up a case for it. Right. There are places where Barak could mean material manufacturing, but it's never necessary reading. For an example, Genesis 5.2. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them, and named the man when they were created. Walton, John Walton notes, uh, the, fabric, the fabric of the Hebrew syntax more refers to them being assigned to roles of male and female within a marriage, not necessarily material creation. So whenever I get on to Adam and Eve, which this is going to sound insane even for some Christians, but... Adam and Eve weren't the first human beings. Mm. They were the first human representatives of God. So think of it as a high priest king and a high priestess queen. Adam and Eve, representatives of humankind, of sort of what to look up to, to how to have a relationship with God. Whenever, at some period of time, whenever God established humankind to be the Imago Dei, the image of God. Mm -hmm. And Well, because we know in through our archaeology and everything that there were other humanoid species yeah it also yeah and it also talks about it in the text Mm -hmm. itself i mean like one sick um answer to a question that i heard from a christian apologist well a young earth creationist i don't know if he was apologist but he said that uh whenever it talks about um cain knowing his wife in the land of nod which in the hebrew it first to be fugitive the land of the fugitive mm-hmm. where he was residing they said um here i'll let you drink right before you start puking <laughs> no i know where you're going with this yeah but he somehow did the sweet home alabama with with his wife well okay if if you want to go off of you know um in some you know it says that adam and eve were the first humanoids and everybody is traced back there. So, and we've talked about this on past podcasts. Right. Incest was, had to be huge back then. Right. And if Especially through the descendants of Lamech, where they practiced polygamy, enslavement, and a large incest. If well, and if you and if, if Cain you and Abel it. were the first children of Adam and Eve. Yes. Where did the women come from? Mm. Mm-hmm. There had to be other human beings existing. It also says it in or, the passage. Or, or they went straight Arkansas. Oh, jeez. And uh, <laughs> Cain and Abel well, if, laid yeah. with Eve. Text doesn't necessarily like, I can you, indicate that. You, you think about two. Right. If you take everything literal. Mm-hmm. Then Adam and Eve were the first humans. Right. There was a lot of incest, and then mankind grew, and we it did. got huge, and it was sinful, and God said, you know what? I'm going to wipe it out. 40 <laughs> days and 40 nights. And they said, ah, you know, that Noah dude, him and his family are pretty good people. Pretty righteous. We need to save them. So tell Noah how to build an ark. So they did. Now there's no humans left on the earth. So there's got to be some incest there, because Noah had daughters and sons who were had 
wives and husbands and stuff. But still. Yeah. I mean. I haven't gotten to that part yet. Anne's goat herd out there. We we try not to, you know, daddies don't breed the daughters. (laughs) (laughs) You know. Yikes. Damn you, Dwight. <laughs> yeah, shout out, Dwight. God. Asshole. <laughs> I liked your video, by the way, buddy. Oh, good. Solid. <laughs> no, uh, go ahead. But, um, <laughs> Sorry to get off on our tangent. No, no, you're fine. <laughs> but um, so from the examples of the scriptures that I gave, Isaiah 59, verse 19, uh, Isaiah 65, verse 18, whenever it's talking about God creating a well, more about establishing roles of joy or reform, transforming the person's heart in uh, Psalms 51 verse 10. It's not necessarily talking about literal material creation, but more about words, the, guy, the purpose and direction from transforming from what this material will do and directing it to something else, creating me an, a clean heart heart of right unrighteousness is now transformed into a heart of righteousness mm. not literal heart transplants right so thus also Barag could at times be referring to material manufacturing out of nothing it is not necessarily a reading anywhere in the Hebrew scriptures like in order to like really get an idea of what Barah means you have to look at the context of the passage and where in the lenses of the eyes of how it's written that obviously that's how you know ancient texts are supposed to be read mm-hmm. yeah Wait, there are are you, are you saying that stuff is taken out of context yeah and people, and you people know, believe the stuff that's taken out of context of course, of course you gotta also remember too back then probably the you know well up until Two three hundred years ago, the only people that was able to read were the scholars and the priests and stuff, and so they read it and they told the people, "This is what you have to believe." The people right. couldn't read it for themselves back right. then. You know, that sounds like modern day Afghanistan, <laughs> oh, or even like, um, if I'm correct, like the Roman Catholic. Like nothing against Catholics here, mm-hmm. but if if I'm getting this correct, I'm, I think I think I might be wrong. But time where Martin Luther was around, like before the printing press, mm-hmm. which was a very big advancement for production oh, of yeah. Bibles. Yeah. So like he wrote down the ninety five thesis, and um, like what they were you know doing wrong, and they basically what they did was that um, I learned this from uh, Mr. Lennox. He was my history teacher mm-hmm. back in Aurora mm-hmm. before I moved to Kansas, finishing my rest of the year of, well, my rest two, three years of high school. Mm-hmm. He said um, that, you know, whenever they discommunicated him from the Catholic church, they took away his passport card to heaven. Uh. But it literally says in the scriptures that Christ sa- saves you by faith. Right. Well, like through faith because of the works that he's done. Right. Taking upon our sins and giving it and basically giving his righteousness to us. But so. he got excommunicated, so he took his passport away. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I thought that was an LDS thing. I thought that was a Latter day Saints mm. or a Scientology thing. Might be. But Scientology, you that's know, 
hold you know, of whenever form. you speak something against Scientology when you're in Scientology, you're never heard again. Uh, Leah Ramey. Yeah, Leah Ramey. She, yeah, she's got out. Yep. She's been speaking a, bad, a lot about it. Oh, against <laughs> yep. I don't know much about it, but I do know one thing. It's a huge cult. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there was a guy well, who wrote a book, and he, he left Scientology, but his family stayed. Oh, jeez. And he has no communication with his family. What's like they have like, like uh, earlier, Bill Burr was talking about um, that stand up that we saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stalin, like mm-hmm. doing Photoshop before Photoshop was there, like completely right. erasing somebody from existence. Right. <laughs> this guy's family believes, like, totally erased him from their memories. Well, like blind bit bliss. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, like, wanna, he wanna, does not exist. I'm going to do you one really close to home here. There was a member of the Mennonite community oh, no. who uh, <coughs> decided it wasn't for him anymore. So, I mean, they didn't kill him or nothing. They let him out. But they had a funeral, and he has a headstone, and he is dead to that community. Excommunicado. Holy shoot. Pretty much. Like, yeah. he's still alive. Yeah, he's still yeah. alive. He's a prominent member of the community and everything, but not of the Mennonite community anymore. He is, they're dead. Oh he's dead well, to them. that's, uh, um. That's insane. God, what, what is that? Uh, Rashma? Ron Springer. Yeah, Ron Springer. That's where the young kids can go out into the. At 18. The English world, they call it. And, and they do can, what? Ever they want, they can drink, they can screw, they can do whatever they want, and if they don't want to come back, they don't have to. But most of them do because you know they was raised in the community and they, right. you know, I mean it's it is a it's a tremendous community when you look at it because it, you know, they don't send their old people to old folks' homes or nothing. They're all right. The community takes care of everybody, you know. But Man. you, but if you want out. Then, all right, see ya, Bob. Yeah. You're dead to us. Um, there <laughs> was a family when I was in high school in Buffalo. Um, the guy got married mm-hmm. to a woman that was not part of the uh, I think Amish. I think we're talking about the same person here. They, yeah. Well, they she converted. Oh, okay. But she wanted a waterbed. Yeah. <laughs> And what they ended up doing was rigging up, um, like uh, a fireplace that would heat the waterbed uh, okay. instead, because I mean there was no electricity. Mm-hmm. But they would use uh, wood, obviously. They probably to, piped it into a radiator type deal in the fireplace to where it would heat the water and. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, and but I mean she converted, it, but it, I mean it's a lot like. Uh, Judaism, mm-hmm. when uh, a Jewish man marries a non-Jewish woman, they she has to convert. She has to go to class. And, yes. Yep. She has to convert to Judaism. Kind of the same way with Catholicism, too. Uh, to a point. I mean, if you can... You can a you a can, practicing you can, Catholic. You can become... Right. 
but if you want to go to church and everything, you have to go to classes and meet with the priest and da 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 da. da. But from what I understand, you can still never take communion. Right. Um, my mom, when my mom married my dad, uh, my dad's a Bible Baptist and my mom was Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. And uh, she didn't take communion after they got married only because she didn't go to Catholic church. Right. I mean, she did the the uh, Christmas mass, the Easter mass. Mm-hmm. You know, the, Which the, you and I can go to a Catholic church and go to Christmas mass. And right. Mass. Uh, <laughs> even even when my grandmother passed away and they had the funeral at a Catholic church, my mom didn't take communion because she didn't go to mass. She wasn't a practicing exactly. Catholic. Right. She still had her Catholic ways. She still mm-hmm. had her Catholic beliefs, but she didn't she didn't practice. Right. So. I mean, like I haven't been a practicing Methodist for a while. I haven't. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, but there, there's the thing there. And my, and my wife's only halfway Baptist. But she half, went to the half. She was halfway. She was halfway <laughs> Missouri. <laughs> she said, I'm just halfway Baptist. Um, you know, but <laughs> it, it goes along with what I said in last week's episode about you know Chris Rock in Dogma. Mm-hmm. You know, to have beliefs is one thing, and you can change your beliefs. No, but you can't or, I, I'm belief. sorry, you can to have an idea. Right. You can change an idea, but you can't change your beliefs. Well, in the words of the Almighty Joe Rogan, I'm not married to my ideas. I have an idea about something, then you and I can disagree, but we can be talking. It's like you know. I'm not married to this idea. You're making a valid point here. Right. You know. Differences, but right. respectable points. Yeah. You know, I, I, when I was younger, I chose. Or I never looked at it that way, but you've, you've shown me a different way to look at it. So, yeah, I'm not married to that idea. It's just what I believe, or my idea at the time. Right. You know, I, I chose a way, and have I strained, strayed from that oh, yeah. choice? Fuck yeah, I did. Yeah. I was a I was a fucking marine, and I was in the army. Right. And you know, I've I've went to foreign lands and uh, never been in a firefight. But uh, I can't say whether or not that the artillery that I called in didn't kill somebody. I don't know. I was not on the ground. Mm-hmm. But I had when I was in Iraq, I had a sit down with our um, um, our, our chaplain mm-hmm. and we sat there and we talked and when he was in college he was a metalhead like straight like anthrax slayer megadeth metallica you know big mm-hmm. four right. metalhead but he chose to go to seminary school he, mm-hmm. he chose that way mm-hmm. and but he didn't um, condemn somebody that was the way that he used to be mm-hmm. it, it's you know it, it's the whole choices thing right it's like like uh like i'd said before humans have free will mm-hmm. we we have our choices and i asked him uh 
you know, the thou shalt not kill. Mm-hmm. You know, how does that set with soldiers? Mm-hmm. Actually, like in the Hebrew, it's actually look okay, like not supposed to be translated as thou shalt not kill, but it's actually uh, thou shalt not murder. There's a different. I forgot what the Hebrew phrases are. Like Hebrew is a very specific language, mm-hmm. right? And like for an example, for if you want to use the word for male, there's two phrases for it: zahar, which means older male, and yaled means younger male, young boy. And so, like, I'm pretty sure there's like two uh, Hebrew phrases for murder and kill. Like, um, for an example, um, in Genesis 3, whenever God is establishing roles to Adam and Eve and not just them, but humanity, they were to have vegetation of the fields and not just only that, but they shall have um, authority and um, forgot look like what the other word is. The domain. Uh, yeah, domain and dominion yeah. over the animals. If you look right. at those Hebrew phrases, those aren't <laughs> those are friendly Hebrew phrases. Several times they refer to as uh, an evil king tyrant that is ruling over its own people mm. or a, a smashing of a wine press, you know, an oppression. So creation was unproductive in a sense, but God brought forth humanity to take over that um, over creation. And so the general idea is that why would a God just, you know, you know, just make naked people in a garden, don't have to think and get their hands dirty. So in order to have the highest virtues of good, and I'll be looking into this, but in order to have the highest virtues of good, there has to be a possibility of evil. Mm-hmm. Now, here's a general question. It's a strange question, but what is your favorite movie? For me, it's the Blues Brothers. Okay. So, and it's a pretty good movie, right? It has triumphs. The guy triumphs over evil, right? Yeah. Why wouldn't you pick the Teletubbies? It's because he recognized through the guy triumphs over evil, you have the highest form of good. But in a Teletubby world, you're just functioned that way. If God only created a world of good, you're just programmed. Let's, let's, Let's take it back to something that we... Grew up watching and loving and everything, professional wrestling. Okay. Oh. If you hadn't had a face and a heel, if you'd have just had everybody was a baby face. Yeah. You'd watch a couple episodes and go, okay. Yeah, yeah. that ain't nothing. You know, I ain't watching yeah. that. But you got this terrible, evil bad guy that's screwing your favorite wrestler over every night. Until he triumphs. Until he triumphs. And that's, 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 how, that's how you book a good... Feud. Right. Hot you know, times. Hot times. You put me in hot times. <laughs> hot times. You put my family in hot times. Rick Flair. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, you know, especially the NWA back then, it was always about the chase. Yeah. The, the baby face chasing the title from the bad guy, you know. Yeah. And he'd finally triumph. He might not hold it very long, but he'd finally triumph. But it was about that chase, getting yeah. the people, you know. The so triumph said, was the highest reward. Right, yeah. Which you know, good good wins over evil, and you know. Right. So Jerry the King Lawler beating the evil Hollywood star Andy Kaufman. Yep. <laughs> I have no idea, but I could probably understand your voice. <laughs> um, the movie uh, Man yeah. on the Moon. Man on the Moon. 
That's about it. Man Kaufman. on the Moon. Andy uh, Jim Carrey. Jim, uh, Jim Carrey plays Andy Kaufman. Oh. Andy Kaufman was a comedian. Back. You, you ever heard of the show Taxi? Taxi. He played Danny La- DeVito. He played Latka. Yeah. On Taxi, and he was a comedian, stand-up comedian, and everything. Yeah, it's but very he, interesting story. He right. was one of the first comedians to really play on the emotional. Well, let's let's he, what, he, what what he did was he uh, he started this deal. He he created a a title belt for himself called the Intergender Championship. Oh, jeez! And he would he would take on women anytime, anywhere. You know, these hands are E for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if they could beat him, what was it, in 10 minutes or something like that, they get like $5,000 or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Of course, and there were some big women that tried him and everything. Of course, I'm sorry, men are just constructed different and they'd get yeah. gassed and he'd, he'd up, up beat them. It was all real. It was all a, a, a shoot. Gosh. I mean, they were real wrestling matches. Oh, gosh. Well, Jerry Lawler and, um, the Memphis Territory heard about him and everything, and they said, hey, would you like to come in and do a show at our event here? So he come in and done it. Of course, he had the crowd totally against him because it's this man, you know, beating up women. You know, I mean, it wasn't a fight. It wasn't a fist fight, but it was a wrestling deal. Right. Yep. And oh he ended up, after after he pinned this one gal, and I can't remember her name. She was a big black girl. Yeah. He just started rubbing her face in the mat and everything. It just, I mean, the crowd wanted to kill him. I mean, they just got it going. Just and gnawing their teeth at him. Yeah, just and disgusting. so it was over with, and Lawler and Jared. Jerry, Jared. Jerry, Jared were sitting there going, we can make some money on this. Oh, jeez. So they called Andy and said, hey, would you want to come back next month? He's like, yeah. Well, they done the deal on TV where Lawler was going to train this girl because she almost almost beat him, but he outlasted her and he beat her. Right. And then he disgraced her, you know. Yeah. No, he didn't disgrace her at that point. No. Nope. Almost beat her. Anyway, she comes back in. Lawler trains her, everything. Doesn't tell her that wrestling is a work. She thinks this is real, that she's going to try to beat this guy. So they had the match. He beats her again. Then he starts rubbing her face in the mat and everything, and some people on the outside said, Jerry, think you ought to do something about this? So he jumped in there and shoved Kaufman off of her. Well, that started the feud between the two. Oh, jeez. And Lawler ended up giving him a pile driver. That's where they put their head between their legs, and they pick him up and, boom, plant oh. their head in the mat. Damn. And Kaufman sold it. And, in fact, Jerry gave him two of them. And Kaufman's laying there going, get me an ambulance. Oh, gosh. And they're, like, going... Okay, and they go up to Jerry's like, he wants an ambulance. It's like, well, he ain't going to have to pay him for an ambulance. And they go over and say, Andy, we're not paying for an ambulance. He's like, I'll pay for it. Get an ambulance. So they brought an ambulance in. They carded him out. They took him to the hospital. Stayed there three days because he kept telling them, no, my neck is screwed. His, his head never hit the mat. Jerry knew how to do it. He just, you know, he wasn't hurt. But he was selling this whole thing. He spent three days in the hospital. Never sent the company a bill. He paid for everything out of his pocket. He was pretending? Yes. Yes. What? He paid for everything out of his pocket, kept this feud going. They made a ton of money. Kaufman never cashed a check. He never told his family it was a work. He never told anybody 
that it was all a work. Wow. It wasn't until that movie, Man on the Moon, came out that Kaufman's family realized, oh, shit, we've been had. They, they hated Jerry Lawler for years because they thought that he put their son in the hospital. Because Jerry Lawler and Andy Kaufman were great friends. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until Jerry Jarrett was switching banks and he had to uh, clean up all of his books and everything that they realized that Andy Kaufman never cashed a single check. Oh my gosh. He just done it just because he loved it. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't at the movie. Pr- it was at uh, Andy's funeral when Jerry showed up. Okay. Yeah. That uh, the family walked up to Jerry and was like, you've got a lot of nerve and so on and so forth. And Jerry was like, no, this, it, it was a complete, because it was uh, Jerry Jarrett, Jerry Lawler, Andy Kaufman, uh, Andy's assistant the slash referee. manager, and the referee. Those are the only ones that knew about it. Yes. Yeah. Those were the only five people that knew that that was a work. Okay, so let's get back uh, Anyways, I'm sorry. No. Oh, no, you're fine. We got on to good and evil, uh, I, so. <laughs> yeah. So... Going back to uh, the purposes of Bohu and Tohu, so whenever we um, look into this, I could bring up a quote by uh, John H. Walton in his book, Ancient Near Eastern Thought in the Old Testament, pages 154 to 55. He says, creation makes, uh, takes place by giving things order, function, and purpose. Key phrase, purpose, which is synonymous with giving than than existence this fits far much more better the expression of the earth being formless and void which are the hebrew phrases for bohu and tohu on productivity and chaos we can we translate this as formless and void but it doesn't really capture the hebraic meaning of the words so it's a westernized thinking of translation so whenever they were translating this into english they were thinking you know this is probably our thinking. They probably thought the same way as we did. Mm-hmm. Wrong. <laughs> but um, a guy named by the name uh, David Tissumura uh, has done a full semantic analysis of the term tohu and bohu in this book, Creation and Destruction, in pages 9 through 35. And his conclusion is in that the Hebrew term most likely means unproductive, chaos and unproductivity. The exact quote, he says, this is keeping with my explanation, which takes tohu and bohu as signifying a redness and unproductivity. So in his book, he lists um, for tohu, this is like bohu and tohu. These are the only references in the Old Testament that we can find. So about 18 times tohu is referred, while bohu is referred three times. To note for bohu, only appears in the Hebrew about three times, and it's always in conjunction with tohu. They're connected, brother-like. Mm-hmm. So, so whenever it's in conjunction with tohu, tohu appears about 18 times, obviously, and it's used to refer as a barren uh, wilderness in Deuteronomy 32, verse 10, useless idols that accomplish nothing in Sam, 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 21. Uh, where caravans perish in wastelands in Job chapter 6, verse 18. P- 
people that wander aimlessly, Psalms 107, verse 40, a desolate settlement in Isaiah 24, verse 10, or the northern kingdom after it was destroyed by Assyria in Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 23, which that's going to be a pretty good key at the ending of chapter 1. So the context of how the word tohu is used seems to, to suggest that it refers to an unproductive state or a wilderness where there is no human production or ordered civilization. So this is contrast of how like a nation's run, an understanding of that. But compare that to the universe and the materials that are there. It's unproductive. Mm -hmm. It's without purpose. God enters in. He takes the chaotic waters, the laws of physics, the fine adjustments of the universe, and he gives it purpose and direction. And he's making his way to earth and to humanity to have a relationship with them and to aid with them to take over the earth mm -hmm. since the earth is unproductive. It needs to be tamed. It mm -hmm. needs to be controlled. Mm -hmm. So the context of this passage, obviously purpose and direction. I know I'm saying that a lot. It's just a lot of people won't be able to understand this like very quickly. Mm -hmm. But this seems to make more sense without what follows, as we read in Genesis 1, of how God began to establishing specific functions for all the things he assigned. So, in verse 5 of Genesis 1, it says, God called the light day and the darkness night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. For an example, in verse 5, God called the light day and the darkness night. Now, the question is, why not call the light what it is physically and namely light. Why would you say specifically the greater light and lesser light or called the light day and the darkness night? Mm -hmm. So looking into this, I'm thinking like, okay, this is kind of strange. So I started digging in a little bit further. So whenever looking into this, God, instead God calls a light by how it is, it, if it's he's calling it how it's functioned on earth, namely to be for the day and the darkness is to be a function for the night, not m literal material creations because light is literally there. And then the luminaries. So day one, light is called forth, not literally created, but called forth. And then on day four, the lesser and greater lights, the luminaries are established. What it, what is the materials purpose and direction. Day one, he calls forth the material, and then day four, he gives the material purpose and function. It's plan for humanity. Mm -hmm. So, Genesis 1.14 says, And God said, Let there be light, lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. On day four, we see that see that the great and lesser lights are assigned to mark seasons, days, and years. That's its purpose. God calls it forth. God calls forth the material, day one, and he gives it purpose and direction in day four. Their functions not, they are functions, not material creation, that are what brings them into existence or into an ordered system. So, I, uh, I believe he's a um, an archaeologist, but his name is J. Richard Middleton, and he says in his book, Liberating Image, in page 54, he says, 
these two examples of creatures in Genesis 1-6 and 1-14 through 18, whose existence is explicitly defined by their own function and purpose. So, for instance, uh, if I'm correct, day four and day, well, okay, day two and day five, the lands are called forth. Or it's the um, the sky that's called forth, and then day five, the animals of the, of the air mm-hmm. are called forth. So there's a pattern, if you kind of look, but we'll get there. Oh, here soon. So um, DGA Klein's in the image of God in man notes that the existence of firmaments is relation to its purpose, and we could see similar ideas throughout the rest of the text. In verse 10 of chapter 1 in Genesis, God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And so another thing to recognize is that this passage of Genesis, it's very poetic. Mm. You know, then God said, then God saw that it was good. Mm. And, you know, it's not getting like literal, you know, ideas of what, God's doing it's giving an idea poetically of what God's doing mm-hmm. he's giving purpose and direction of the universe making his temple the, his t- cosmic temple and and the uh, the tent of the tabernacle will give you a much more better view of this so Genesis 1 11 also says and God said let the earth sprout vegetation plants yielding seed and fruits trees bearing fruit in which there is seed, each according to its own kind, on the earth, and it was so. Once Hebrew for um, once the Hebrew words are properly defined, the whole passage can be seen as God assigning proper functions and thus bringing them into existence within His new ordered system. So God is using God is using ex- existing materials to create these things mm-hmm. to establish or assigning. I'll just start right. saying assigning. Okay. And so um, one, so once the, like, the new ordered system is established using the same logic, we can see why the creation account is divided into seven days. So these are connected symmetrically, not chronologically, literally. Um, day one, light and darkness is called forth. And then day four, the luminaries of light, you know, for seasons, for days and years mm-hmm. are established. Not talking about literal creation of materials, but about giving purpose and direction to these materials. Such as um, day two, the sky and sea are called forth. Day five, he establishes it for flying and swimming animals. Day three, land and plants are called forth. Let the earth grow in vegetation. Mm-hmm. He's telling the earth is growing in vegetation, so he's establishing the conditions. Then he calls forth the land animals for purpose. There's a pattern here. Mm-hmm. And then finally, of course, God rests or resides. Mm-hmm. The use of seven was a typical culture symbol for a temple inauguration. For an example, in Exodus chapter 40, verse 19 through through 32 the construction of the tabernacle was completed in seven stages or uh, the ordination of the priest was seven days in Leviticus chapter 8 verse 33 to 35 
Solomon's temple was constructed in seven years, according to 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 38. And it's also dedicated to God during a seven-day uh, festival on the seventh month, according to 1 Kings 8, verse 2, and also in verse 65. Mm -hmm. Solomon's dedication speech was given in seven petitions, according to 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 31 to 53. So there's a lot of, you know, seven-day uh, commemorations, mm -hmm. you know, celebrations. And not right. this isn't just shown in here as well, but outside of the Bible, we find this as well. The, the Ugudea Cylinder, which is about 2,125 B.C., tw I'll just say 2125 B.C., speaks of a seven-day temple dedication, another on the Ugaritic text, and uh, chapter 1, verse 4, book book 7, verse 16 through 40, speaks of Baal, the Canaanite god, completing his cosmic temple in seven days. So from hearing this, this isn't a necessity of trying to copy, but more about establishing a theological stance. Mm. And what's even crazy is that... Uh, Whenever it refers to, you know, the light, the greater light and the lesser light, night and day, mm -hmm. they give no reference to their gods, none, mm -hmm. only Yahweh, which brings forth, you know, monotheism, the idea of only being one God, right. the one true God. Mm -hmm. And so the point being the seven days in Genesis 1 seem to favor a more functional understanding of the whole passage. The temple and the tabernacle were constructed from pre-existing material, material that's already there. But, of course, to our knowledge, there, were, it, there was an absolute beginning to all of this. Mm -hmm. And this context of this passage is talking about what God does after some period of time of that chaos, what he does with the materials. Mm -hmm. The materials were simply organized to function properly in the worship of the Lord. Given that we see God is properly assigning functions to creation in Genesis 1 and how they will operate within human civilizations, the most likely explanation is that the text is simply establishing that God entered, the, entered a chaotic universe and assigned a few functions moments in later. various creations, giving purpose and direction, using the materials used. Now, if they don't, if you guys don't um, understand this, I'm not talking about the, our viewers. Mm -hmm. To really simplify this is um, think of think of uh, for an example, a Starbucks. You're making it with the materials, mm -hmm. but it's never established. It's never in business. So after you make it. There's no function in there until there's business. Mm. So in order to have a business, you have to go in there and use the materials properly to make a business. In the same sense, God creating a universe, it's unproductive and chaotic for a period of time. You know, an empty building, that's, mm. that just got made. And then you... Then you got to hire the staff and train them and... Right. Stir the fries. Stir the fries, and, yep. So it's sort Not of, at Starbucks. they don't, they don't stir fries at Starbucks. Stir the coffee beans. There we go. Okay. My gosh. Stir the fries. What was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> Heck, who knows? They might actually do that in order. Might, to be a, might be a McDonald's Starbucks combination somewhere. 
No, it's it's called McCafe. McCafe. Uh, McCafe. So, God entered a chaotic universe and assigned functions to various creations as part of setting up the whole cosmos as his cosmic temple. Um, it's not about material manufacturing, but establishing the cosmos as his temple and properly ordering things to work for culture and society, for human beings. John Walton gives a good example, obviously, you know, the uh, Starbucks example. You know, the materials are set there, the entire place is made, but it's not functioning. There's no, it's an empty room until there's people that go in there and give it purpose and meaning mm -hmm. to create a business. In the same sense, God creates the entire universe with the chaos, chaotic waters, and he goes in there and gives purpose and function. He uses the, the existing materials that was needed mm -hmm. in order to bring forth order and purpose. So... This is, a, this is also apparent with the order of days. Commentators have noted for years that how the six days of creation are a mirrored structure. So whenever you guys look into um, the days one through seven, it's not supposed to be taken literally because it just doesn't make sense if you're trying to take it literal. Mm -hmm. How on earth could there be like light whenever there's luminaries of light, lesser and greater lights on day four? whenever light is supposedly created in day one. Mm -hmm. So there's a, a, um, there's a pattern here, a symmetrical pattern, not a chronological pattern. Mm -hmm. So here I have, if you look here, viewers might not be able to see this, but uh, here. Well, we're just audio right now anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so as we see here, um, I'm going to try to visualize it for the viewers. So imagine there are three, <laughs> three uh, intimate circles, right? So there's a bigger what? circle, a second circle, and an innermost circle. So the outer circle, circle three, represents the pagan nations and wilderness. The second inner circle represents the 12 tribes of Israel. You know, Ephraim, Benjamin, Nathaniel, uh, Dan, Asher, Zabalon, Judah, um, Eshelar, Shadar, uh, Sipon, Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. Those are also the same workers upon the temple that went to tell about their fears of King Hiram Abiff. I'm a Mason, so. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm reading those names going, I know that. <laughs> And finally, the innermost circle is circle one, which is the temple where God resides, you know, the tent. Mm -hmm. And that's where the high priests and the Levites are. So there's also like coordinated um, connections with this. So the priests and the tabernacle have sacrificial animals in the innermost circle, mm -hmm. circle one. The second circle, the whole encampment of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel with clean animals. And finally, the third circle, the pagan nations and chaotic wilderness with unclean animals. Now, there's a connection with this. So try to visualize the three intimate circles of God. Mm -hmm. Now, this actually represents the days of one through six or one through seven. So on the outermost circle, days one and day four, light and darkness are called, but they're given a purpose and function. The second circle... 
day two and day five. Day two, meaning this guy and C are called forth. In day five, they're given a purpose for flying and swimming animals. Now, in the innermost circle, circle one, day three and day six, land is called forth on day three. And on day six, humans and land animals are established. So you can kind of see that through these circles, God is getting more intimate with the creation. Like he's going, like traveling through it Mm -hmm. while establishing these laws, like purpose and function. Mm -hmm. And so you could kind of say in the sense that God always had his, had us in mind or that we're in the center of his universe. Mm -hmm. So it's like sort of romantic in a way. Right. But now looking into um, the reason why I would think like this, looking into the three intimate circles, why are they symmetrical, is a passage in, um, where is it exactly? Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 23 and 26. So the context of the passage is whenever the Assyrians overtook the northern uh, kingdom of Israel. And, of course, Jeremiah was being warned by God that, you know, if you guys keep continuing and you're evil, this is where you're going to end up. Mm-hmm. So you need to, like, you know, switch your ways. You know, repent, stop doing these evil things, because whenever you go down a path of evil, my hand of protection will be taken off of you. And this is like a period of time, so God had many reasons to take his hand off of them, but by his mercy, he wanted to stay with them. Mm. So, so if we start off at verse 23 to 26, it says, um, I looked on the earth, and behold, it was without form and void. Those two Hebrew phrases, tohu and bohu, are shown right there. And to the heavens, and they they had no light. I looked on the mountains, and behold, they were quaking, and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked, and behold, there was no man, and all the birds of of the air fled. And I looked, and behold, the fruitful land was a desert, a barren wasteland. And all of its cities were laid in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. Now, this is kind of interesting, because... This seems like the reversal of Genesis days one through seven. Mm-hmm. You know, God called forth the light, but in this passage it says there's no light. Or that whenever the earth is described as formless and void, it says that the land of Israel was without form and void. So if you kind of look at it closely, there's a reverse of what's happening. Now Let's just say Genesis 1 is talking about a literal material creation. And this is talking about the reversal of that. Are you really suggesting that for me to believe that the Assyrians defeated Israel and they somehow, Israel literally got evaporated out of the space-time continuum? I mean... Maybe they had nukes back then that we didn't know about. Yeah, (laughs) So it's kind of ridiculous to look like suggest that way if somehow for some odd reason it's supposed to be suggesting a literal material creation, but mm-hmm. it's showing the reverse of this instead of establishment on productivity is happening. It went from being a very good productive state to a un- to a unproductive state. Mm-hmm. And 
if Genesis 1 is supposed to be talking about literal material creation, and this is the reversal of it, Genesis, um, Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 23, verse through 26, meaning without form and void, having no light, there was no man in the fields, all the birds fled, then it's kind of a ridiculous claim mm. to say that, you know, Israel just disappeared out of the space-time continuum after Israel right. after Israel got destroyed by the Assyrians. It's talking about purpose and direction, like their establishment of how good they were doing. Mm -hmm. They were from a good nation, and they were destroyed. Mm -hmm. So it's using the reverse of Genesis chapter 1. So this is why it, it would make that. They were just, they got prosperous and so they got lazy and they weren't producing like you know and yeah so like they were um they were doing really great and mm -hmm. then over time they had the mindset this is never going to change and they didn't work hard and shit went south yeah it just went south <laughs> by their own actions yeah and so if jenna so the reverse of Genesis 1 would only suggest that God took a disordered cosmos and ordered it to be a working temple for himself and human human beings therein, not the beginning of all matter as we know it. Obviously, from other passages, you know, like I mentioned last week, um, John chapter 1 verse 3 and Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 talks about an absolute beginning to all materials, mm. not just only that, science tells us that as well. Mm. But it would just look like it would be like a really ridiculous claim to suggest that Genesis 1 is talking about literal material creations and then saying that since Jeremiah is talking about the reversal of those things, somehow Israel just pops out of the space time continuum. Mm -hmm. It's just weird. But, mm -hmm. and that there is uh, part one of Genesis 1. So, yeah. Or I would call it Genesis 1A, uh, and the next one would be Genesis 1B, and it was good. So, yeah. Hmm. Any thoughts? Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, definitely uh, want to go back through and readjust my idea mm -hmm. of when I studied the Bible when I was in grade school. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, yeah, because we were kind of taught, you know, what I asked, I remember as a little kid asking mom, I was like, well, how did God create everything in six days? <laughs> right. And she's like, well, she goes, maybe it wasn't, days weren't measured the same then. Maybe a day was a thousand years. Right. Or something right, like because, that, you know, um, and I'm like, okay. And I asked, my dad, the same thing, because I knew he was in World War II. Mm -hmm. He fought in Germany. Right. And, you know, of course, you read the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. Right. And I said, Dad, I said, um, you know, because I'm a little kid. Right. I'm like, <laughs> I was like, it says thou shalt not kill, but you were in the Army, you know, and he goes, that was kill or be killed, son. Right. Well, so and different, you know, but like you said, you know, the kill is more thou shalt not murder, right? The unjust, actually, if, if, and I can't remember which comedian. It's probably George Carlin <laughs> talking about the Ten Commandments mm -hmm. and how so many of them have a similar meaning. 
to another one. Right. You know, he said, there's you should, there's basically three. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. don't kill, don't steal, don't fuck your neighbor's wife. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, okay, so, like I've mentioned uh, this show before, Lucifer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, in the show, this guy... Uh, you know, Lucifer goes back to hell to rule over hell. Mm-hmm. On earth, he's gone a week. But in hell, it's been a thousand years. Mm-hmm. Because time moves differently. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. In the celestial beings, if you will. Well. So, I mean. If you just look at our solar system, a year on Mars is a lot longer than a year on Earth. Right. Because we, we measure time by how many revolutions we make around, how many times our world rotates. Like yeah. 24 hours, that's a day. Mm-hmm. And the Earth goes around the sun completely in 365 point blah, 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 blah days. Wait a second. <laughs> you mean we... Revolve around the sun. Yes. And the sun doesn't revolve around us. No. I mean. And the earth is not flat. <laughs> well, I know the earth is not flat. Because <laughs> you've been around it, so you know. I'm convinced yes. it's a donut. Changed my mind. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> you look very confused. No, I'm, I'm, I'm trying oh, to figure out. Oh, you're one of them hollow earth theor- theorists. <laughs> oh, don't get me started on that. Come on. Because I have flown from California to Alaska to Japan. Mm-hmm. And if that's a donut, that's a big fucking donut. Because I've also sailed from California to Guam to Singapore to Africa to Australia to Hawaii back to the States. So I have been to Australia and I've been to Alaska and that's a big fucking donut side. He was on one side of the donut. I never said any of that. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I have flown from Kentucky to Maine, to Ireland, to Germany, to Kuwait, to Kazakhstan, to Afghanistan and back. Hmm. So, if de facto, the Earth being flat is bullshit. <laughs> because so is it a donut? <laughs> no, I don't even think what, it's a donut. What is? What is it they say? If you're in a perfectly open, flat area yep. of the world, mm-hmm. the furthest you can honestly see is what forty miles. Because of the curvature of the earth. Exactly. Hmm. You know, if you were, you know, no trees, you know, nothing. nothing, no hills, no nothing. Kansas. <coughs> <laughs> the furthest you can physically see because of the horizon is about 40 miles. Yeah. Because of the curvature. Ah, and I, I, I kind of, and what really made me think about the curvature of the earth was when we was up at Buffalo, New York. Mm-hmm. And on the way back, we took a, a side road to get close to the lake, the Lake Erie. 
and we found a spot where we could go down to the lake. Mm-hmm. And we're standing there, and it looks different than the ocean. Because looking at Lake Erie, it looked like that son of a bitch was probably 60 feet higher than where we were standing. Right. I mean, you're like, why is that not crashing down on us here? (laughs) You know? I mean, it was just weird. I mean, it's a freaking lake, but you can't see the other side. Right. Oh, yeah. You know? Now, here's something that goes against the whole flat earther thing. If we're a flat earther, or if we're a flat earth, Mm -hmm. where's all the water go? And if the earth's spinning, how come we don't get spun off of it if we're flat? Then what's on the bottom side? Is it another earth just like ours? Here's a better question. <laughs> if we're a flat earth, why haven't cats pushed us off yet? That's true. <laughs> <laughs> just like Sully did to the ashtray earlier. I'm just saying. Because they're like... For those of you just listening at home, I'm pushing an ashtray across the table. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, cats are assholes. Can be. No, no, it, it's not a, it, it's not a can be at all. He was your favorite cat when you get home. They're like, hey, how you doing? Nah, fuck you, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, hey, hey, two-legged person, I can see the bottom of my bowl. I don't care that it's 33 quarters full. I right. can see the bottom. Right. Fill it. Fill it. Clean my litter box. That's, That's how my how my brother's cats are. Like as soon as they reach the bottom, Jules just looks up, starts yeah. like crying. Just <laughs> his cats think, are the same way. I think um, sometimes shaking the tray doesn't fix it. It's because they can just eat it a little bit and then they'll just start whining at you. You gotta fill, fill it up. I, I've got an idea here because you're yawning. But this is such an interesting con- conversation. I don't think we can do this all. Oh, yeah, definitely in not. Two, in two podcasts. Yeah. Definitely not. So I think we need to have him back on once a month, maybe. Possibly. Yeah. And we can, because we're at page 22 and you got 95. Uh, yeah. Just Genesis 1 through 11. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He, ha- he hasn't gone through the other books yet. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't went past it, chapter one. This is that the what you've just heard was part one A. This is part one B. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if for for our tens of listeners, he is not a scholar. He is not a. He's just taken this upon himself to research. Mm-hmm. And. I, I commend you. I mean, how old are you? 20. 20? Yeah. Yeah, when I was 20, I was just thinking about pussy and fast cars. <laughs> I was thinking about half that <laughs> when I was 20. And I'm going to let pussy. you figure it out. <laughs> no, you had, to have the, you had to have the cool car. I didn't make enough money. <laughs> I, I, I worked for that's, the government at 20 years old. That's why I got into body work, so I could... <laughs> So I could do my own body work and paint work and make a cool looking car. But I, I was, and, it was a, and mechanics was a lot simpler back then too. I was a you jarhead when I was twenty. Motors. Yeah. 
So, yeah, no, this has been a very interesting conversation. Right. Uh, yes. I hope it's not too deep for our tens of listeners. Yeah, hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> I, t- like, well, I, I tried repeating some parts over and over again. I've, oh, they're fine. Yeah. But. You know what? And we're going to allow the listeners at this point to tell us whether we need to go further or we're good. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in the comments down below, you're you, going to. Do you want to hear the rest of the story? As Paul Harvey would say, yep. and that's the rest of the story. Uh, do you want to hear more or are you good? Now, on Spotify, I will put up a poll and a question that you can answer. There you go. And on YouTube, you leave a comment down below. Mm-hmm. And on that note, you have just listened to another episode of Stu Hip Productions Presents. JDM, solve the world after, after dark. dark. I have been James. And I've been Matt. And on behalf of Tyler and all of our Tinsel listeners, you keep one fist in the gold, one foot in the gutter, and we will be seeing you. Peace.